You're about to listen to a true story told live because this is True Stories Live. Brought to you by LJ Hope Productions, Norwich Arts Centre and me, Molly Naylor. Will you please welcome the wonderful David Shenton? A clean slate usually means a new beginning, doesn't it? Um, something that uh, you're determined to do and um, uh, something that's fresh and optimistic. But what if that slate you've got is actually the best one you've ever had and you really don't want it to go away, but then out of the blue, something happens, something you have no control about and that slate gets wiped completely clean. And that's what I'm going to talk about. And this particular slate I'm talking about didn't get wiped once, it got wiped twice. And it's, um, I'm going to go way back when I was 14. Um, I was born and brought up in um, Ashton Underline, which is a, a small, well, not small, it's an industrial town south, uh, six miles southeast of Manchester. And looking back, I realised that I had quite a bohemian upbringing. My father went to art school but didn't finish because he got called up and went on active national service and uh, went to war. When he came back, um, all he had... He, came back, he had uh, a broken nose and he was uh, quite deafened. But he used his art school training to make a living after that and he became a poster writer he uh, wrote uh, church notice boards the sides of removal vans uh, waltzer tubs but mostly cinema posters there were four independent cinemas in Ashton and he did the posters for the lot if it was a small uh, poster, we would screen print those and paste them around the town. But if it's a four sheeter or an eight sheeter, and sometimes even a 12 sheeter, then he would uh, paint those by hand. He would um, lay out the paper and then he would mark it with a steadying stick and just walk along, and then he would dab on some orange day glow or pink day glow or if it's a horror film it would be green day glow and then he would write on all this week dot 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 his uh, favourite films were the ones with the shortest titles <laughs> and um, at the time we're talking about he really liked dot to know that's two capital letters two lowercase letters and one full stop he also liked Zulu, Alfie, Gigi, and his favourite one was If. <laughs> he absolutely hated those magnificent men in their flying machines <laughs> because it also had a subtitle or How I Flew from London to Paris in 25 hours and 11 minutes. 
I still have his brushes. <laughs> anyway, the upside of this is that me, my brother and my sister could go to the cinema, any of the four cinemas, any time we wanted. So I was quite a film buff by the time I was nine. And... Um, we were only allowed to go to U certificates. You wouldn't go to A certificates. They were for adults, and the X certificates were for even more adults and <laughs> horror. And the cinemas would tell my dad if he caught us trying to get into any of those films. So I went, 1963, 14, I went to see Jason and the Argonauts. And... Um, didn't rate that highly on my dad's uh, letter-counting system of films, but for me, it was quite a revelation, that film. One, because of Ray Harryhausen. He was the stop-motion wizard who brought to life all the mythical creatures. The uh, flying harpies, the seven-headed hydra, and the... Uh, sword-wielding skeletons. Do you all know this film? Yeah. Right, the second point is, about this film is, I fell head over heels in love with Hercules. <laughs> Not only Hercules, but all the rest of the sweaty crew <laughs> rowing for dear life in, Argo, in the Argo on their quest to find the Golden Fleece. Even worse... There was a giant bronze statue called Talos. He was a colossal, one of the titans. And um, he comes to life because Hercules has stolen a, a, a brooch pin, which he wants to use as a javelin. And um, so Talos comes alive, and I'm now on the Argo. And, 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 and Tallow comes along and he walks along and he strides across the straits from one island to another and he's wearing boots, a helmet, a sword and this kind of Grecian athletic support <laughs> and he's standing like that and you have to sail between his legs I'm going, oh God, I really want to be an Argonaut. <laughs> I saw this film time and time and time again. <laughs> and the, the cinema phoned my... Well, the cinema told my dad, and he said, um, David, uh, you, seem to be, uh, you seem to have gone and seen uh, Jason and the Argonauts rather a lot. And I said, oh, yeah, it's the, it's the amazing wizard of Harryhausen's stop motion. <laughs> and I really want to do that kind of... Anyway, I realised... Uh, then at 14 that I was different and probably doomed. <laughs> and, and so that kind of affected my schooling. I went down a few grades in grammar school. I did badly in my O-levels. I wasn't accepted for the sixth form, um, which, was, which was okay, really, because I went on to tech college and did a basic pre-diploma for two years where I, uh, uh, I picked up my O-levels and A-levels. And... Um, worked towards getting into an art school. 
In the meantime, I worked at the weekends and on school holidays for my dad, but I also had another job at the Army and Navy stores. It's the Army surplus stores, not the Army and Navy stores. The Army surplus stores where we, we sold rucksacks, kit bags, Army blankets, combat trousers, and trenching tools, which are an absolute pig to wrap up in brown paper and string. Um, these people who ran this place were called Pete and Brian. There were two men. And they'd sussed out what I had actually uh, realised by now, that I was one of them. The word gay hadn't reached the Northwest yet. <laughs> and they were not predatory or anything. They were kind people. And they laughed at my... Uh, my fascination with the Argonauts and, uh, and, and then they introduced me to uh, Joe who was a bricklayer and he was 19 I was, th I was 16 by now uh, he introduced me to Joe who was a bricklayer and, uh, and he came into the shop to buy his uh, work clothes and his boots and he was looking for a boyfriend and um, well you know he was blonde and gorgeous, and what I liked most was he, because he worked outside, he had a sunburnt back and a pale front, rather like an argonaut, do you know? With that? <laughs> <laughs> anyway, we, we, um, we got on very well, and we, 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 um, that romance went on for two, two years, and by, anyway, by that time now, I'd now got into an art school, and the art school I got into was in Hornsey, uh, Hornsey School of Art, and one of my tutors was going to be Bridget Riley, and I was so excited to be going to London, and I told Joe that I'm going to London, he said, I'll come too, and I thought, wow, this is so fabulous, you know, you can't... Anyway, this is 1967, but this is the year of... The, the, the partial decriminalisation of the Sexual Offences Act. So now, I was 18 and Joe was 21. Which means that Joe was really pleased that he is now legal. And, but because of the word partial, this means there were little things attached to the Decriminalisation Act. And that is, it had to be two men in private, which meant no hotel rooms. And because George, uh, Joe and I, um, uh, both with our parents, most of our meetings had been in George's truck, in his garage, in laybys. So you had to, even hotel rooms, you weren't allowed to have uh, uh, sex. You had to have it in private. And so they certainly wouldn't allow laybys. <laughs> Anyway, so this, this caused a bit of a problem because he, he now was legal and I wasn't, which is really odd because we've been together for two years. Now, I could get married at 16. I could drive a car at 16. I could join the armed forces at 16. And uh, I couldn't vote at 16 because that didn't come down till 18, until 1969. But there was no uh, age restriction on smoking at all. One, one night, we, uh, Joe and I were in uh, a lay-by having a bit of quality time. And, the, uh, and, we, and then uh, the, the blue light flashed in the mirror. And the, and the horn went, the siren came, and Joe said, it's the police. And so he covered me 
with an army blanket, which he'd bought earlier in the day. <laughs> and there was a wrap on the window and the torch, and we wound the window down, and, um, and the, the policeman said, uh, uh, oh, no, Joe, uh, Joe said, uh, it's just me and my girlfriend, officer. And he said, uh, are you all right, miss? And me under the blanket going, yes. <laughs> He said, I think you'd better get the young lady home, son. So, anyway, that narrow squeak brought it home to Joe that although he was legal, he was now uh, dating somebody who was a minor, who hadn't reached the age of consent. And I wouldn't be mature enough to understand my sexuality for another three years. Uh, and so he said, I can't see any more, David, because the prison sentence, which would have been two years before the sexual, before, before the decriminalization act, had now been hiked up to five years. We could have got, he could have got five years in prison. So he, we, we split. And uh, he, so that was the first swipe of my slate. But I'd still got Hornsey College of Art, hadn't I? I'd still got London, hadn't I? Well, actually, no, I didn't, because the Sorbonne and other French universities had gone on strike that year because of capitalism. And this uh, strike wafted across the uh, channel and settled mostly at the Hornsey School of Art. And my dad said, no son of mine is going to go to an art school that allows its students to go on strike. So that was wiped off. That's the two strikes of my clean slate. So the age of consent didn't come down from 21 for another 27 years. 27 years. And then it only came down to 18 in 1994. And it wasn't equal until 2001. And complete decriminalization didn't come in until 2003. And I've just got one sentence that Lord Aaron said when he introduced this bill, this begrudging sentence. I ask homosexuals to show their thanks by comporting themselves quietly with, and with dignity. Any form of ostentatious behaviour now or in the future or any form of public flaunting would be utterly distasteful and make the sponsors of this bill regret that they had done what they had done. So now I am going to comport myself quietly and with dignity. <laughs> True Stories Live is a story show and story finding project brought to you by LJ Hope Productions, Norwich Arts Centre and me, Molly Naylor. For more information about all of the work that we do, head to our website truestorieslive.co.uk. We're super grateful to be supported by Arts Council England, Norfolk County Council and Writer Centre Norwich.